2: It has come to me That my dignity And my darkest insecurities have met Like two birds faced off On some power line pissed, tired and unwilling to turn back Nothing hurts like the Welcome to The
0: Marinade with no Jason Earl, a free-flowing like conversation about the creative process with it. creative people. This is episode 78, and our guest is Will Johnson. Will is one of my all-time favorite songwriters, y'all. His band Centromatic changed the way I think about songcraft and music in general. His collaboration with the great Jason Molina from 2009 is a go-to record even to this day. His work with South St. Gabriel provided the bridge between Centromatic and Johnson's excellent solo records. The last two of which, Wire Mountain, and the most recent, El Capitan, are two of my favorite albums in the last few years. Will is a producer, a collaborator with wonderful bands, a painter of folk art. He is a manic expressive. And this was a bucketless conversation for me, y'all. I am so excited and so honored to present my conversation with Will Johnson.
2: And the battle feels never ending until the judges call the fight. I am accustomed to this battle every night. I am accustomed to this battle every night.
1: Awesome!
0: We figured it out. Will, thank you so much, man. I am so excited to talk to you. This is such an honor.
1: Oh man. Thank you for having me along. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: I don't know if you can, I'm a big fan and I don't know if you can see, but um, there's a poster back there. I've actually never gotten to see you play live, unfortunately, other than on the interwebs. Yeah. It's a show from The Social in Orlando and it's Will Hogue, Jason Isbell. There's no year on it and Centromatic. And I don't know it's like you guys are like on the bill as guests or something i don't i don't even know what year it was it was august
1: i can tell you exactly uh it was august of 2007 and we were on tour with jason and the 400 unit and it was kind of a man it was one of those wildly routed situations where we were doing some pretty crazy breakneck drives show to show um but it was just us and the 400 unit but That was one of those nights where I guess promoters decided it'd be better instead of having the shows go against each other, go ahead and put Will on the bill as well. So we did a triple bill situation at the social, which is a great room. Such a nice place.
0: It is. And that's just such a wild. I, I, I saw the 400 unit on that tour. So in uh, Jacksonville. So that's really fun to think about. Like um, I don't know if it was that year or the year after, but I saw saw that show and then Jason was doing some solo stuff. But yeah, I found that like at a market here in Orlando that was wow. just like, it was a misprint or whatever. I found it like four years ago at this crazy outdoor market. And That's so I brilliant. had to have it
1: because those are three of my favorites. Um, so cool. I don't then, even think, I don't think I, I mean, I definitely don't have a copy of that poster, but I don't even know that I saw, saw let one. Me, I let me like,
0: show like, you because it's really cool too. Yeah, cool.
1: Oh man, that's great. That's very cool. Isn't that great? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's. um yeah, that, was, that was a wild tour. I mean, we were uh, we were in the throes of where were we touring. We'd been we'd been touring a lot that year and we were just hitting like the the dog days of summer and had experienced a heavy flooding situation in Houston a couple nights prior so it was really difficult getting out of town and uh man I mean we were just you know we were logging miles I think we went the routing had it where we were from Baton Rouge to Orlando or maybe Tampa and then on up to south carolina at some point i mean we were just bouncing all over the place man it was wild
0: it did you know that was one of the questions i wanted to ask you so let's get to it like you were a big influence on isbel for example and on so many other song great songwriters um and i wonder if at that time because by that point you'd been with that band for quite some time were you aware of of how special that band would be to people or even at the time was to people or how special sort of your influence, both you individually in the band would be on a whole generation of songwriters?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, no, not particularly. Uh, we we really, uh, in, in terms of Centromatic, we kind of kept our heads down and just kept churning out records at a rate that was exhilarating and exciting for us. And so, um, as far as you know, taking any kind of inventory like that, I wasn't, I wasn't, I just wasn't. I don't know. I I enjoyed the road, and I enjoyed the camaraderie and the uh, the the energy of playing rock music in rooms, and and uh, I still love that whenever I get a chance to do it, but as far as taking much inventory on things like that. No, not particularly. We just got, we were lucky in that we became friends with a lot of the people that we admired so much. And Jason was certainly one of them. And we just struck a fast friendship back in goodness, September of 2001, like just weeks after he had joined the truckers. And, um, we were fast friends and, uh, and so we learn from one another. We we did a lot of miles with the truckers, and we did a lot of miles with the four hundred unit. And there's just a, 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 there's an energy where you're just inevitably, either consciously or subconsciously, picking up notes and uh, tricks from one another here and there. And there's a reason, there's a reason that love exists because there's a there was just an immediate kinship, and there remains to be.
0: Wow, I love that answer so much because it it, it kind of brings me to another thing I wanted to ask you about, which is which is the 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 your voice um, both sonically and the way you express yourself um, you individually, but also with the back then with the band. There is something so distinct about your records, and even if it's a different way of communicating, if it's you with an acoustic guitar or it's you with the full band, or if it's you in South San Gabriel, there's a very distinct Will Johnson voice. Um, but, and again, sonically, but also the expression of it. Is that something that you've been aware of from the beginning? Or was that again, something where you're just creating and doing your thing, and then you just happen to, to either have or carve out this very distinct Will Johnson-ness?
1: Um, I think it. I think it's more of the latter. I wasn't totally sure what it was going to be at the beginning, or for how long. I really wanted to do it. I mean, to be completely mm-hmm. honest, I I wasn't. I was still finishing up my degree, my undergrad work at the time that Redo the Stacks came out in 1997, which is the first centromatic record. And to be completely frank, I, I at that time, I really figured I'd maybe put out a couple of records. Um, I didn't have any great designs on doing a lot of touring or anything like that. I kind of figured I'd put out a couple of records and go to grad school and start teaching. I mean, that was really kind of the grand vision that I had at the time. Uh, and I finished up my undergrad work up in Denton at University of North Texas. and. Um, became smitten over those next couple of years after I graduated with the idea of just making records. And I had a lot of material building up fast. um, And I really wanted to spend all my time and energy suddenly making records and then eventually touring. Uh, A couple of years later, after that, South San Gabriel was formed and that sort of formed a new conduit for everybody in Centromatic to explore different, um, I don't know, different sonic terrain. And it gave us an opportunity to collaborate with other musicians uh, and include other people into the fold. And so uh, as far as having any kind of vision for my voice at the beginning, I didn't particularly. It was really very much learn Learn as you go and figure it out, and um, and don't don't be afraid to fail because there's a lot of material. There was a whole lot of material at the time, and some of it took and some of it didn't, and that's all right. Um, I think we just quickly became, we quickly came to find that as a band, as the four piece version of Centromatic, we looked after each other carefully and we cared a lot about each other. And there was an inherent brotherhood that started to take place. And we realized that no one was really expendable at all. We had to have the four of us to really make the band fly. And if one person couldn't do it, well, then that was, that was it, the band's over. because in my opinion, the, the, the sum of the parts thing really came into play and I, I just didn't, I felt like that was established early on. I mean, mm-hmm. by, the, by the first or second record we had done together, it was just like, this is it, this is our band. Sorry if you're getting the glare I'm trying
0: to it's, it's okay yeah I'm constantly in that battle. I work from home so I'm like yeah. and I'm on, I'm on Zoom all day so I'm constantly like oh, yeah. yeah. How to how to angle the light? I've turned this on and off 3 times, yeah. but it's it's all good as long as it's not bothering you. Um yeah. So okay, so you're you're thinking professor you're thinking like professor track, right? You're thinking is that like literature or you're going to
1: yeah, yeah. I was thinking academia pretty much, you know, straight through until about '99 or so, and there were just certain realities that came into play. Uh, certain very fortunate realities. And uh, that band was getting busier. We were establishing a serious love for one another and for making music, and uh, we were becoming more and more serious about touring. And I, I figured I could always circle back to to a master's degree somewhere down the line if i really wanted to do that so i always joke that i just got distracted with making records and here we are you know 25 years later
0: <laughs> yeah that's i love that so much because that's a question i was going to ask you which is just like how do you make that decision right like where how do you make that decision to i'm going to go be a rock star instead of instead of i'm going to like have a tweed jacket and you know tea. <laughs> teach Faulkner or whatever like because you know we all we talk about that a lot on this show like wrestling with that decision of a creative life and whether to make that decision and so that that's why I'm kind of wondering if because Centromatic was so dynamic and such a, a even from record to record like again the sound is still very quintessentially Centromatic but it's um you're you're constantly shifting and evolving and it it doesn't sound like anything else. And when you listen to some of those records from the same time, even records that would have been considered in the same genre, so to speak, whatever the hell that was at the time, mm-hmm. um, it was still something different, you know, and they hold up so well. And so like, I guess I, I kind of wonder if, was, if there was a light bulb moment or if you just had your head down doing doing it and thinking in the back of your mind, I can always fall back
1: on this other career um yeah i i i i i'm trying to cast myself back into my mindset you know some 25 years ago 22 years ago but i think it was largely that the latter where you know it's like let's keep making records and touring and and enjoying these experiences And, uh, you know, if the bottom falls out, I can always go back to school. I can, you know, I don't don't have a ton of skills, but I can do farm work or work work in a warehouse or whatever to bide my time while I figure out the next step. But the thing was, the reality was, and I'm going back again to 98, 99, 2000, the U.S. touring started to pick up a little bit, and we experienced our first European tour, which really, that was, I always kind of refer to that as the honeymoon tour of sorts. And it didn't happen until three and a half years after we had formed the band, but, um, certain countries that we would go to over there, be it Holland or Belgium, um, a little bit of UK, but, um, we experienced the exhilaration of being accepted somewhere other than just in Texas. And uh, that's obviously a good feeling to any band once they kind of set sail out on the road, but even more enchanting when it's on another continent. And so that opened up a whole new, uh, a whole new kind of joy for us. And... It's not that we were drawing hundreds and hundreds of people, but we were we were doing enough to sustain the tours and to pay ourselves a wage at the end of it. And in the end, that felt like true success. And we were able to continue putting out records at a pretty quick pace and full creative control, owning the masters. And wow. so when when all that is working, you It's just fruitful. It's a fruitful and rich experience for for friends that have already spent a lot of years together hanging out, you know, maybe playing shows, different bands, just growing up, listening to records throughout our adult life, basically. It's an exhilarating thing. So you want to keep it going. So we, you know, we did until, goodness,
0: 2014 or so. Wow. Is there one more nostalgic question, I guess, because I want to get to some of the newer stuff. Because um, your last two, your most recent two records, Wire Mountain and El Capitan, are, are two of my favorite things that you've done, and so I want to get into that too. But on if you look back on those twenty five years, it made me think about the young musicians and creatives who listen to this show. We've got we're fortunate to have some young young musicians and creatives who listen to the Marinade, who are trying to figure that world out and trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And the industry has changed so much since you first started with that perspective, are there any lessons that you've learned about the creative life that might be able to translate to somebody who's who's younger and trying to figure out what to do?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, everybody's got their motives for making music and for making art. And so to assume that everybody's in it for the same reasons, I think, is foolhardy. There are a lot of people forming bands to... Uh, you know to make a lot of money there are a lot of people forming bands to try to challenge their mind and keep themselves as turned on as they can musically and creatively there are a lot of people forming bands to meet girls or whatever the case you know everybody's got reasons and especially when you're young it's all kind of in front of you um but i always kind of harken back to a strange and and this may have been off the cuff, but it's stuck with me for almost 40 years now. And my favorite band throughout high school and college, and I mean, geez, they're still probably my all-time favorite rock and roll band, but was, uh, The Replacement. And I remember an interview with Paul Westerberg, I want to say in 86 or 87, right around, you know, their their fan base is really expanding. They're starting to do quite well. And uh, I remember he was asked just like, you know, what's your advice to anybody forming a band at this point? And I loved his answer because he said, you know, a lot of a lot of people will put want ads up in music stores or record stores, like looking for a drummer or looking for a bass player, you know, and you wind up playing with strangers and all. But uh, he circled back and said, you know, there's not, find your three best friends and figure out how to be a band. Basically don't, don't go on the war path looking for like some ringer session musician, figure it out with three people you trust and love. And the rest I think will be, you know, and I'm paraphrasing or I'm kind of taking the baton there, but I think the rest will be far more enjoyable than forming something with, uh, with total strangers and then realizing. Six months or a record or two, and that your motives or your reasons for making music are totally different and uh, not harmonious, and then you got a you know then you got a problem on your hands. So uh, anyway, I always kind of like that piece of advice, and I took that with Centromatic in a lot of ways because uh, Mark and Matt's band had broken up right around that time that we formed. Scott had left Slobberbone or and and i was wrapping up time with a band called funland so we were all kind of at these similar crossroads and we had all been friends for a number of years already and there was an inherent trust already set in place we hung out together anyway so it just seemed natural for that to be the band there just wasn't uh there wasn't a search for members or anything like that and i still swear to this day, I don't think i formally asked anybody to be in the band, we just kept showing up for each other. And that was it. And so that's kind of how we how we how we went about our our business, you know, it was just no question, we just showed up for each other.
0: Uh, I couldn't love that answer more. So what? What are your reasons for creating? you manically create you paint you play you have solo stuff you you drop into other projects you play drums for people you produce records you and that's another question i'll ask you later is about balance but what is that what is your motivation for creating
1: it it kind of depends on the day i mean certain certain days the motivation may be that i want to transmit a piece of you know, baseball history or learn something about a player that I've admired from afar for decades. And then the next day it might be a guitar melody that I'm obsessing over and it's time to figure out a vocal melody or some lyrics to go with that. And then another day it might be, you know, a drum part or working out, you know, something. But I think the common denominator to all of it is that I just um, I'm an only child from a small town. <laughs> there wasn't a lot to do there, and so a lot of that, a lot of the, uh, a lot of that constant movement, like that constant pushing forward thing, or that constant search, started. It was hardwired into me at a real early age, and I grew up around some musical people up there, and had access to instruments and was allowed to figure it out at my own pace and uh so i think that's just that was hardwired into my scene at about age six or seven and it's not much different now i mean i wake up with every day and basically ask myself well what what is how are you going to make today cool what are you going to make today wow And, and so uh and and that's been with me for years, and it remains to be the case. You know, time is short. I'm realizing how quickly the years are going by, and um, having kids, having three kids now, really seems to accentuate that. It makes it seem even faster, but it also makes the time for creativity even more precious. And I don't take that for granted because parenting is a big job, especially in this pandemic. So whenever those couple of hours come up in the afternoon or maybe a few hours late at night, whenever those open up, that's when I get to work. Um, I don't binge on TV or anything, man. I just try to make stuff with any extra time that I have.
0: Okay, so that's where the balance thing comes in is like you, your family's coming first is what I'm hearing. Yeah you're focused on the family you're doing those those things sorry i laughed because i thought of james dobson's foundation i didn't mean to make that reference but you're you're getting up you're you're doing the dad work and the husband work and then whenever there's a moment then you're sitting down to do yeah. The creating.
1: wow yeah usually so and sometimes that can be you know that the deck definitely takes a lot of um a lot of forecasting on, on both my wife's and my behalf, as far as when we can have time to work on our projects. And she is doing really amazing bead work through this pandemic and making a lot of commission pieces as well. So it's like, it really is a matter of like, Hey, can you hang with the kids for, you know, an hour while I go work and, you know, she'll get done and then maybe I'll run out there and work for an hour. And it, it really is a, it's a teamwork kind of thing and it requires a little bit of foresight once the day gets started and once the kids kind of get going with their schooling and all but you i just i i don't take that for granted and years and years ago i used to do that i used to just kind of ride at will and i would you know fritter away hours watching the history channel or something like that and then pick up a guitar and roam to the other room and mess around for a little while and it's just it's not that freewheeling anymore But with that, uh, with that time crunch, I think I've probably become more organized with and more, uh, I value the time more. So hopefully that leads to, you know, hopefully that leads to good work. As my friend Patterson said a few years ago, I think is after they had their second kid. He's like, I'm not writing as much as I used to, but I think I'm writing better than I used to, because I cherish the time more now, and I put more work into it. And I, I agree with those sentiments at this point in my life here at almost age 50. Wow, <laughs> um, I'm appreciating the time more, so I'm I'm trying to use it wisely.
0: Um, and for folks listening, the, the Patterson hood of the, the great drive by truckers, I'm sure you're talking about there. I, yeah. I, um, oh gosh, there's so much to unpack there. Well, um, so I do think, so from, from my perspective as a fan, as a consumer, um, the work that you're producing now is some of is, are things that I, I've been even more excited about. And like I said, I've been listening to your music for many, many years. Um, Which which of those motivations that you mentioned for creating or or was it a group of them out of which of those motivations was El Capitan, your most recent record that came out in 2020 born?
1: That's a funny one, because that uh, that didn't that record didn't really come from one specific writing session, though, that collection of songs kind of built up over the course of numerous solo tours. And they were written in oddball places like hotel bathrooms and casino bars and restaurants and places like that. And uh, I I just had this collection that built up over the course of five or six or seven years that when I kind of grouped them together, when I was listening to to collections of demos, that that group of songs just made sense together uh, to my ear and this is how the this is how Centromatic assembled a lot of its records and this is how we've sequenced a lot of South St. Gabriel records this is not a new thing but it's just a collection of songs that pairs well together and they kind of play nicely together and offer a certain kind of um, a certain aesthetic and a certain kind of voyage for the listener, hopefully. And so, especially at this time during the pandemic, I couldn't put a big ensemble together to go in to make a record, but I was living, and I still am living so much in my own head over these months that those songs started to ring a little more true to me and it just felt like the right time to finally go in and track them. And so, My friend Britton and I made that record in, I think, four days. I just took a $100 Stella guitar that I'd found at a resale shop and to his studio. And he had, you know, the little station set up in the live room and he was in the control room and we recorded it in a socially distanced manner. And my friends Thor and Lindsay lent some tracks from their homes and sent them over to us. And so it was uh, recorded with proper social distancing, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's a sparse record, but man, there's just a lot of quietude in this particular chapter of history, and uh, it felt like the right time to put that record out finally.
0: Man, and and that's you know you uh, that's another thing you do, and you do it so well on this particular record, and and it's on Wire Mountain too, I think, where you you have this way of of lingering on a syllable when when you need to drive home a point in a certain way, and also allowing lots of space between what you're saying. Because I think when I think of Will Johnson records, especially your solo records, I think of very lyrically um, beautiful and and dense records that I keep getting more out of when I listen to them, um, uh, the, uh, uh, re-listen to them. So like El Capitano, I've just been devouring and each time like this morning i heard something different right so trouble hit me in a different way this morning yeah um los cuervos hit me in a different way this morning um and so i wonder um oh gosh i forget how you pronounce the name of the town the new jersey town goodbye uh,
1: abseken yeah
0: yeah abseken yep. that one that one hit me really hard this morning in a different way um and so i wonder if like is that a feel thing the the idea that, that I'm talking about, where like, you seem to have this masterful way of letting the letting the song breathe for a second before you hit us with some other line that's gonna be really heavy, um, or is that a conscious decision?
1: It's usually a feel thing. Um, it, there are certain songs where there are elongated, you know, intros and I just, frankly, as I'm writing it, I don't feel like hearing my voice yet. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely frank, there are certain times where, you know, I'm, I'm okay with not hearing my voice for a little while. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's all right. But yeah. I think that's where, I think that where space is key. And, you know, we're living in a pretty loud world these days and and i know we're a lot we're living on our own heads a lot but that doesn't mean that the world outside is any less uh, crazy or bombastic and so sometimes i find some solace in that space and try to try to stretch out those moments and make them useful make them purposeful and so um Sometimes, and I think a lot of the time, that's where the small instrumental pieces come from that go on the records as well. Uh, I just have a tendency to sit down and write little instrumental songs uh, pretty regularly. And so I try to find ways to feather those into the records as well, because sometimes it's okay to just have some music and not have someone beating you over the head with a lyric or a passage. so I try to I don't know it's it's a feel thing coming back to your question it's definitely a feel thing and uh not really a conscious deal it's a, it's something that just kind of happens through the writing Wow
0: can we talk can we switch gears and talk um painting and baseball um what is it so if, for folks who aren't familiar um you you're a painter one of the, you you one of your big inspirations and one of the the main things you paint about is baseball. You paint stadium, classic stadiums, you paint players. I love that work. I'm a huge baseball fan, grew up obsessed with baseball. Um, What is it about the game that inspires you creatively?
1: Goodness. There's just so many beautiful and fascinating and oddball stories within the game. Um, And it, and I've always you know, like the the early paintings, I really wanted to center around some of those, uh, and and maybe celebrate some of the less lesser known, kind of under the radar heroes of the game. And there's an evolution to baseball that I think, in some ways, has kind of reflected the evolution of our country. And so that's where I go for the historical angle with it. Um, and really with each piece i try to i try to you know there are certain commission pieces that i get and it may be the third or fourth time i've painted a player so it may not be as much the case with say a babe ruth or you know even a hank aaron at this point i've painted him a bunch but um but a lot of the time i'm learning about i'm trying to hopefully transmit something to the viewer and maybe transmit some new information, but also learn something myself from each piece. So that that's really the motive with the whole thing. And that started maybe 13 years ago, just as a way to kind of fill the space on the walls of my empty kind of dank apartment. And then that led to some commissions and a few shows and and um, it just kept going. And so that's kind of, that's how I'm spending most of my time these days, since there's no touring, I'm just painting full time.
0: Wow, I love it. Um, it, it. Who are I like to ask this question, and I kind of wish I would have asked you this ahead of time so you could have thought about it. But um, you may, you may have an answer. When you, especially as you paint players and learn about them, who are the most creative baseball players of all time?
1: Oh man, the most creative. That's a good question. It's um, a really good question. Um, I don't have a ready answer for you. So, I'm,
0: I'm, and, I'm, and I don't want to sway you one way or the other, but like I asked this of any baseball fan who's a songwriter, right? And uh, yeah. Colonel Bruce Hampton was on the show early, early on. And he's had an encyclopedic
1: knowledge of baseball.
0: He was ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I might. It's it's hard not to think of Charlie Pride. I mean, he was a great uh, ball, fan. and a lot of people don't know that he played uh in the milwaukee brewer system for a time and you know he did pretty well and so uh i painted him i guess a few years ago but he's one that comes to mind and, that's a great
0: know, one yeah
1: he did some pretty amazing stuff <laughs> yeah i did yeah
0: Char- yeah yeah the great the great uh charlie pride great country singer charlie pride i i think for that's an interesting answer because I, I guess like my brain always thinks of like the way they play the game, maybe or the way they communicate elsewhere. But like he literally yeah. was
1: a great creative. Yeah. The game. Yeah. Yeah, he knew his way around a song. <laughs> yeah. So that makes <laughs> that's that's
0: awesome. I like that your brain went there. Nobody's ever thought about it that way for whatever reason. Uh, Ricky Henderson always comes up, you know, for his yeah. showmanship and the way that he approached the game and that kind of
1: thing. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's a favorite, without a doubt. Um, Bill Lee, Bill Spaceman Lee is one of my all time favorites. Yeah. And uh, just because he's, he's a he's a mind blowing personality He's the only he's the only MLB player that's appeared on the cover of High Times magazine, to my knowledge, which is an interesting tidbit i suppose but uh he's a fascinating read any interview you can find with bill space is is worth worth tracking down um favorite player of all time would have to be it's hands down roberto clemente just for the beautiful and wonderful and generous human that he was um but yeah i mean you know i could go on about some of these folks yeah sure.
0: no i love that i love that um, yeah, I mean, I, I try to like limit the baseball talk on the show because I, I think most people don't tune in for it. But anytime I have a yeah. chance to pick a creative's brain about it, because it, it grew on growing up, it was the only thing that mattered, you know, like that was my obsession. Um, so I, I had to ask you about it. What what are the what is the other art outside of your work that's inspiring you right now? I and mean, right now is a really fascinating time to think about that um what what music are you listening to or what are you reading like what what have you consumed lately that has you fired up
1: well um it's it, i'm listening to a ton of ambient music these days and i think there's probably a reason for that it's definitely you know it's it's been such a crazy patch for for humanity and we have been served a real Uh, dose of perspective over this last year and so with that with all of the um, recalibrating and all of the kind of mental motion that goes into reassessing how we're going to go about things especially a lot of us in the entertainment industry and you know we're sitting tight for a long time and so to have a sense of purpose blurred for an indefinite period of time um kind of leads to a want for some sanctuary and some in in that i'm finding a lot of uh a lot of peace and a lot of calm through just ambient music especially out in the art studio late at night um it's meditative in its way so i'm listening to a lot of abul mogard who's a, a serbian uh instrumental composer uh swedish kind of art house, instrumental trio called Tape. Uh, I've been listening to their music on and off for 15 years or so, and I keep coming back to them. Mm. Um, So those are a couple. And then, you know, other times it's a lot of hip hop stuff these days, really. Um, uh, Quilly Chris is somebody I'm listening to a good bit. Apollo Brown, um, I don't know some Detroit hip hop stuff. So it's it's almost like bombastic hip hop in the art studio, or just long notes that last ninety seconds. <laughs> I
0: can I can relate so hard to that, <laughs> so hard. <laughs> like when you said Quilla Chris, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's because that's uh, I just recently got into his stuff and I yeah. fell, fell for it really hard as soon as yeah. I did. That most recent run, so, the jewels record, yeah. I'm
1: all over the map these days. Um, I mentioned this yesterday in a podcast, but you, you asked about the reading thing. Um, I'm reading my friend Wiley Cash's new novel, he sent me in advance of it. It comes out a little bit later this year, and I'm maybe 100 pages in. But his his work is phenomenal, and I was already a fan before we became friends. Um, so I'm reading his stuff. Um, There's a great book of short stories by a gal named Ashley Bryant Phillips called sleepovers. And that was my favorite book of 2020. Mm. Um, So I don't know. There's a couple, couple of titles. Uh, That's enough to keep me busy.
0: (laughs) Sounds great. Well, this has been one of the honors of my creative career. Um, I'm so grateful for your music. I'm so grateful for your art and just overwhelmed with gratitude for your time.
1: Thank you for having me along, man. I really, really appreciate it. It's good talking with you.
0: Awesome. Thanks, man. Be well. Take care.
1: Awesome. I'll see you around.
0: All right. Sounds good. Bye.
2: Bye. And long ago, my mother taught me about the crucial actor of simply showing up. And though I'll fail, I'll try my best to replicate unrelenting love. Will Johnson,
0: y'all. Thank you so much, Will. Thank all of you for listening. What an honor. Will-Johnson.com for all things Will. He's been doing, um, I think the last one was maybe in October, but if you go to his website, there's a bunch of like performances, just quarantine kind of performances. You can also of course get his records there. I I can't say enough about El Capitan. Um, Came out in August of last year and then the vinyl I think dropped in January. Um, I have a copy, I love it. I play it all the time. I have a copy of Wire Mountain as well. The other record that I mentioned at the top of the show and that I talked about with Will during this conversation, can't say enough about his solo stuff. if you are new to will's music you're welcome have fun it's uh it's quite the it's quite the ride and uh, in all the best ways y'all thank you so much for listening thank you for being here thank you for supporting the show subscribe on your podcast app if you haven't already um, that makes a big difference for us and that way you also don't miss anything give us a rating it takes you a few minutes rate us on your podcast app um, rate us on whatever wherever you listen to it to us and if there's a place that you prefer to consume podcasts that you don't see the marinade, let me know. I think we're on all the major ones now, but just in case there's something I'm not familiar with and you prefer that platform, just tell me and I'll, I'll do it. I mean, I can't imagine that we've missed anything yet or at this point, we're on Pandora, we're on Spotify, we're on uh, Amazon Music, we're everywhere. But if there's anything that, um, you know, pod eraser or something, I'm just making that up, uh, that you need us to be on to let me know and I'll do it. Okay. Follow us on social media. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are the only two channels where you can do that. We're pretty active on on Twitter, um, Instagram. If, I, if, you, if you interact with us and you need me, need, need me or you send me a message and I don't, don't respond immediately, give me a break, um, please, but I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Marinepodcast.com is probably the best way to get a hold of us. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, um, ideas, we love interacting with fans of the show and friends of the show. So, um, you know, all of those ways are, are, are good and easy ways to get a hold of us. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community. Y'all, it's so much fun. Um, I, I get that money's tight for a lot of folks. So if it is, please don't even consider this. But if you're, if you're in a position where you can chip in two, five, ten bucks a month, um, it makes such a difference for us. It makes this a viable thing to going forward and uh also you get some cool perks we uh we used to do our what i'm getting down on segment at this part of the show but i've moved that over to patreon um and kind of expanded it into our jason's journey podcast which is um every episode i'm releasing uh, a jason's journey which is about my my creative life and uh, a lot of times i talk about uh either things that are going on in my life or um you know Creative challenges or successes I've had and also some behind the scenes of the episodes We uh, also have our patreon happy hours every once in a while. We're gonna try to do those every few months where we all get together and we just talk about whatever. Uh, we talk about the show, we talk about art, we talk about life. Oftentimes, since we're in different parts of the country, we talk about the weather and it's just kind of a nice escape. Um, everybody involved in the Patreon community is just, they're just good folks. Like this show has brought together some amazing people and um, I'm so grateful to have met all these folks and gotten to know them. Uh, virtually and one of these days hopefully when it's safe we can meet face to face speaking of which that's what the patreon's for as well is um, I every month put away a little bit of money and um, in hopes that one of these days when things open up I can come to a festival near you and we can meet and I can interview your favorite artists and you can ask me questions and we can hug hopefully I'd love to hug anybody who wants to hug (laughs) once it's safe to again Uh, That would be wonderful. I miss hugs. I miss live music. Uh, And I'm thankful that we've had this creative outlet through all of it. uh, It's crazy that it's been a year since the last time I saw, really saw a live show um, and really got a chance to, to interview somebody face to face. It was Ben Nichols about a year ago and Jay Jackson were the last time. I guess Matt Woods, actually, now that I say that, those three right in a row, were the last um last interviews that i had eden archer man that seems like forever ago everybody wear your mask um if you're in a position to get vaccinated get vaccinated i love y'all Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast if you want to interact that way. Head to marinadepodcast.com for all things marinade. Will-Johnson.com for all things Will Johnson. Y'all, this was such an honor. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.